on this episode of Real Life, Real Equity. You know, so if you invest in a million dollars and you sell it after 10 years and it's worth $2 million, that extra million dollars is tax-free. Welcome to Real Life Real Equity Podcast with your hosts, Justin and Keisha Brooks. Hey, welcome to the show. Our goal is to share with you real life examples of entrepreneurs who are winning in both life and business. As real estate investors, our mission is to model, educate, and inspire you to act by sharing ease to implement tools, ideas, and information to add more worth to your net worth, more cash to your cash flow, helping you achieve your goals in less time. Welcome to the show. exciting episode real life for equity with your host justin and keisha brooks welcome back we are excited about our guest today mr alex uh, shindrovsky did i say that right i, I think you said better than my wife this sounds yeah. oh wow yeah. <laughs> i love i love that that was great <laughs> we got michael brady on the show welcome to the show guys thank you thanks for having us on this is Absolutely. great so let's talk a little bit about what you all came on the show to do now 1031 exchange experts. So um, this is going to go into the archives as one of our vendor episodes. So if you all have not caught episodes prior, we had uh, Waylon and Monique Coleman on the yes. show. Mm-hmm. We had uh, Yona Weiss on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, they talked about mortgages. They talked about cost sick. Now we're going to talk about 1031 exchanges. So yes. Alex, Michael, talk to us a little bit about what we need to know in regards to talk 1031 exchanges. So 1031 exchanges are designed for real estate investors specifically to defer capital gain taxes when they sell their appreciated property, right? So the goal here and whenever you're buying property is to make money and you make money through your, your, your income every month, hopefully from rentals, but also when you sell the asset, you have the bonus of appreciation, but there's a pretty, pretty big tax bite that comes with it. You know, selling appreciated property, you can pay depending where you're located, what state you're in, what city you're in, you might wind up paying one third or more of your profit to various levels of government that are privileged of selling your property. Right. So you can, you can defer those taxes by doing a 1031 exchange, essentially by rolling the proceeds from the sale into the acquisition of another investment property. Wow. And essentially, that's what we do. We're the middleman. We help facilitate that exchange. We're what's called a qualified intermediary in the 1031 exchange process. You know, that's, it's really interesting you talk about that. Can anybody go out and do a 1031 exchange? Can I, I mean, I just say, you know what, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to sell my property, but I'm going to do a 1031 exchange. How does that process work? Because I know there's very specific rules to the 1031 exchange process that everyone's not aware of in the beginning. Right. Yeah. So, essentially, do you want to go ahead? Sorry. Yeah, I'll, I'll, t- I'll take this one right now. So this is actually the first time we had two hosts. Yeah. So this is very exciting. We we usually outnumber our hosts, so we feel much more confident. <laughs> this is this is nice. This is very good. Okay. So so in in terms of. Uh, you know, can anyone do a 1031 exchange? Well, there are certain people who should not be doing a 1031 exchange. I think let's, let, let's start out with that real quick, which is if uh, you'd be surprised how many people are now aware that they have their property is not appreciating value. So mm. we have individuals sometimes come to us, say, I'd love to do a 1031 exchange when they have no taxes to defer, right? So you only want to do a 1031 exchange if you have shown appreciation in your property at time of sale. And therefore, if you have not, 
this is not the right <laughs> the right option. There's certain individuals who are trying to do a, uh, you know a, a flipping, which we could talk about a little later. Which is they bought property and three weeks later they want to do a, a 1031 exchange. That's also going to be an inappropriate time. So if you're an investor who is looking to reinvest uh, the uh, the proceeds of their sale, which of a sale has appreciated value, a 1031 exchange would be a great option for you. Now the process quite simple to start out. It's actually relatively inexpensive, around $800 for simple exchange, a little more for more complex one. What it takes is there are some challenges with an exchange, which is first and foremost, there's time uh, limitations with an exchange. Like essentially Uncle Sam says, look, I'm giving you this opportunity to reinvest the money into the market, which you're not going to be, and you get deferred taxes, but I have a catch. (laughs) You essentially have 45 days to identify properties for the time of the sale of your original property. So say, essentially you've, you've closed on the sale, you have 45 days to identify three properties of any value that you'd like to, uh, to purchase. And then it's 45 days. If you want to identify more than 45 days, then you're essentially limited to 200% value of the proceeds of your sale. If you're looking to do more than 200% value of the proceeds of sale, you're gonna need to purchase 95% of all the properties you identify. So that's quite rare. Wow. So wow. The first, yeah, quite rare. Now, keep in mind what I would say, well, you don't have to identify all of the proceeds, right? So essentially, if you sold a house for a million dollars, you typically in 1031 exchange, you want to reinvest the entire million dollars because whatever you don't reinvest is gonna be called boot. Now, this is not a reference to uh, football. <laughs> it should be somehow. I don't know. Maybe the, again, or shoe. I'm from, San right. I'm from San Francisco, so I think it's a sore subject right now. We don't talk about it. So But in reality, it's called boot. Maybe because you get your, a part of your body hit you know, if, you're, if you don't do it. So it's like a reference. But essentially, it's whatever you do not... Any proceeds you do not identify and purchase replacement property with will be taxed at the capital gains level. Right. Okay. So that's why you want to reinvest all the property. So that's the first 45 days. Mike, do you want to speak about the 180? Yeah, sure. Just one thing that I just want to clarify. So you do the 45 days is absolute, right? So there are no extensions to those 45 days. You know, it's calendar days, so it includes weekends and holidays. You know, it's 45 days and that's it. Once you're on day 46, if you haven't identified you get your money back and you pay tax. Second hard rule is that you only have 180 days from the closing of the sale to close on any of those properties that you've identified. Okay, so you have roughly six months from the closing of the sale to close on your acquisition. Um, And so that's not usually the, the biggest issue. You know, usually the bigger issue is that people have to you know, find that property very quickly. You know, so the 45 days you know, identification requirement that Alex spoke about, that's usually the more troubling or more difficult test to meet. The identification also typically is done with us as the qualified intermediary. So you don't have to have a contract and sell in the 45 days. You just have to give us basically a list of up to three potential properties by the 45th day. Now, can you um, change those properties up when you're in the middle of, of looking? You only have the 45 days. So once you go past the 45 days, you're locked into whatever you've identified. So um, that's why you might, that's why you might want to do multiples, right? Because right. you don't, if you don't, nothing's under contract and it's day 60 and all of a sudden all of your sellers become unrealistic. They think they have, you know, pie in the sky property that uh, is worth, you know, more than it is. Uh, you're stuck. You're either going to buy one of those properties or you're going to pay tax. 
Right. So if I'm an investor, what would be the difference between an opportunity zone and a 1031? Yeah, they are two different, you know, very, very different programs. There are some similarities, but a lot of differences. Qualified opportunity zones are an interesting phenomena that was added to the tax code with the Tax Cut and Jobs Act of 2017. So basically what that allows you to do is you can take capital gain from any asset. So you can sell stocks, you can sell bonds, you can sell collectible artwork, you can sell, you know, personal property items like aircraft and ships and planes, you know, all that stuff and take the capital gain and reinvest it into a qualified opportunity fund, which essentially is going to be either a limited liability company, tax the partnership or corporation that will invest in a qualified opportunity zone. Qualified opportunity zone is an area that's typically a lower income area. Typically their their income is below 80% of what the surrounding area is. Typically they look at a state or a city depending on that. So these are lower income areas they be, have deemed to have need in be in need of i apologize for you know for investment okay so they need they want to bring dollars to kind of refurbish these areas to kind of you know in, in incentivize people to invest in them. so these have all been designated by the many states so every 50 of the 50 states has an opportunity zone every county i think in the country has one and it also applies to u.s territories now Again, you have 180 days from the sale of your asset, similar to a 1031 exchange, to invest in a qualified opportunity zone, okay? You do. You will defer the gain on that, provide, and essentially there's a couple of different levels. So you'll defer the taxation on the gain that you have, but basically you will. it's only until 2026. So you will pay taxes mm-hmm. on your gain in 20, after 2026. Te- technically you pay in 2027, you know, it's taxable as of December 31st, 2026. You will get a step up in your cost basis of 10% if you've held the asset by five years, for five years, by 2026. So that if you had a million dollars of gain, you were reinvested in a qualified opportunity zone. Now, after five years, only 900,000 is going to be taxable, right? Because that 10% step up. So you pay taxes December 31st, 2020, uh, 2026. After that, or actually any additional appreciation above that will be tax-free if you hold the property for 10 years. Okay, so you know, so if you invest in a million dollars and you sell it after 10 years and it's worth $2 million, that extra million dollars is tax-free. Wow. Okay, so it's okay. A, yeah, very, very powerful. So you know, it's not for everybody. It's a different program. There are some similarities. There's a bunch of limitations to it. You know, you are restricted to investing in certain areas. And if you're buying real property, you have to rehab the property. It's not enough to, in general to just go in and buy an asset and operate it. You have to actually substantially improve it, which means that if the building is worth a million dollars, you have to add another million and one dollars in improvement. Okay. So you have to yeah. really do an over a major rehab. Right. right. Uh, so, you know, so those are kind of the, there's a lot more to it. I'm, you know, we don't have, but that's, that's essentially what it looks like. So that's really the way we look at it. That's very useful for a client who's going to, who knows these areas, right? Is mm-hmm. maybe already doing projects in these areas and as a developer who's doing this type of work in that area. Right. The downsides are most of our clients aren't holding property 10 years, right? They usually want to get out of a property in a couple of years. Uh, and so for those people and for people who are more passive investors who just want to kind of collect a rent check and do net lease investment, the 1031 exchange seems to be the better option. 
Okay. So do you have often investor clients who invest uh, 1031 exchange deferred gains into uh, syndications and private placements? We do. Uh, it comes up from time to time and we, um, more than time to time, we get this question quite frequently. <laughs> you know, the, the tricky part of doing a syndicated deal with a, with a 1031 exchange investor is kind of the structure of the syndicated deal, right? So most syndicates are structured in a limited liability company that has a general partner, right? He's the syndicator, right? That's the guy who's going to find the project. He's going to find the investors and he's going to manage the project and ultimately be in charge of selling the project at the end. And then there's going to be the limited partners who basically are the money people, right? right? right. So the syndicator often, you really is contributing sweat equity. They don't usually come up with a lot of capital, if any, right? Uh, they may put some of their own money in, but typically for the syndicator, the goal is basically to earn off the sweat equity. So they're investing less than what their interest is in the property. They need to buy a deeded interest in the property. And typically the way we structure this is you might have your syndicated entity that owns 75% of the property. Mm-hmm. And, this, and you might need to bring in a 1031 investor for 25%. So what you would do is you would keep him out of the syndicated entity and he would buy a 25% interest in the property. Okay, Under some IRS rules, though, for his 25%, he has to receive 25% of the profit. Okay. Mm-hmm. which tends to be, you know, the issue. So there's some things you can do. So the syndicator can actually still manage the property and earn a management fee. And on top of that, the syndicator could actually be the manager of the limited liability company that the 1031 investor used to invest in the project. So he has some control over that investor. Uh, and you might do that for, you know, a couple of years, maybe two years, three years. And then at that point you bring him into the syndicated entity yeah, so then he's part and parcel with like everybody else. Hmm. Okay. That okay. makes sense. So yeah. basically you take a, uh, a syndicated entity and you, you divide up it into 1031 qualified money, kind of, you know, portion of the entity and then everybody else. Yeah, but you're not dividing the entity. You're actually dividing the property. So the syndicated oh, entity wow. would be the syndicated entity. The 1031 investor, he'll have his own entity that will buy a deeded interest in the property as what's called the tenant in common. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Okay. So you, you create a tenant in common, a tick with yeah. a new 1031 entity. Okay. Wow. Okay. Very right. interesting. So, and, and this, this is why one, one of the specialties that master 1031 and Michael do is they speak to syndicators way in advance to be able to structure their, their deals that they would be able to allow for 1031 money to come in. And also what's important is for 1031 money to also come out. So the component of it is that many of the of the um, of the investors, what they're looking to do is continue doing 1031 exchanges um, until actually the time of death, which which is actually the most beneficial mm-hmm. value of a 1031 exchange currently. Why is that? Why is that? Talk to us about that because I know why, but I want to hear the answer from you. Yes, yeah, sh- sure. So, so uh, I'll touch base on that in one second. Just to finish this point, is a syndicator needs to re- recognize both being able to take money in, but also creating an easy way for the, for investors to leave the syndicate as well, right, at the time of sale. So that's really, really important about structuring appropriately because, you know, what the current the way things stand now currently in the tax code that is at the time of death of an individual, uh, they have tremendous joy in their life because they get to look at, give in their children in the eyes in their, in their last moments of life, look them in the eyes, hopefully they'll turn off the apps and the movies uh, <laughs> and, and, and hold your hand in the process and say, look, son, daughter, whoever you are, I just want to give you the greatest gift on earth, which is essentially at the time of death currently, uh, the, task code, the task code, essentially the 
the property is given over to the inheritors, it actually gets a step up in basis to the, to, uh, the value of the time of death. We have individuals who have been doing 1031s for maybe 20 years now, right? 30 years, 40 years, where they've gotten a property uh, that might have been initially valued at $100,000, $150,000. And over the decades, they've actually amassed a portfolio of millions of dollars. Now, if that portfolio was sold as before the time of death, well, they would have to pay on the whole appreciation, they would have to pay capital gains. Now, step up in basis means that that portfolio should be valued at the moment of their death. So it would step up in basis all the way up to that million, multi-million dollar value and no capital gains would be pay, paid. Now, estate tax might be paid depending on the value, but that's a huge gift that any child would turn off the TV for just to hold your hand. <laughs> yes, I agree with that. Thanks, yeah. Dad. Yeah, let's, let's let's hope there there, there are better reasons for for turning well, that. No, this is going to be a dark podcast there, but this is what's called in the industry as uh, swap till you drop. That's the terminology that you'll hear a lot of experts mm. speak about. Swap so again, you're swapping properties to a 1031 exchange until you until that individual drops. That's right. Yeah, you know, to the next world. It's not. It's not much of a you know for the the taxpayer, the, the property owner. Well, you know, it's not the best solution for them, but for mm-hmm. their for passing on, you know, gifts to other future generations. You know, it yeah. certainly is a useful tool. So that's a really interesting uh, concept. The fact that your basis steps up to the value that it was. That's a huge yeah. gain uh, yeah. mm-hmm. that you can you can achieve with the relatively low tax base. So you're, you're going from a capital gain situation to an inheritance tax situation, if any, and the inheritance tax has just recently changed. So, you know, I'm not going to get into that because I'm not a CPA, uh, nor <laughs> do I play one on TV. But uh, <laughs> the point is, it's, it's a very, very lucrative benefit that you have access to with 1031 Exchange. So talk to us in the last couple of minutes. One, how can they get a hold of you, 1031 Exchange uh, experts, and then... Talk to us like three things that you would give our audience that they need to know. You said start early, how early, you know, some things they need to know in order to best not only structure their, um, their entities up front. Cause a lot of people don't even set up their entities correctly. If I, if I remember correctly, yeah. um, how they set it up right. correctly up front when they purchase and then how they can dispose of it correctly. Yeah. Sure. So, uh, let's see. So, Basically, the, the three things I think the importance, as you said, is, is planning, right? So you want to, I, I think when you're buying an asset, and this is for any investment, you know, I, uh, I have a friend who's a uh, financial advisor. He said, you know, the problem with the financial industry is that everybody tells you what to buy, but nobody tells you when to sell it, mm. right? So really, the point being that you should always be planning your exit strategy, even as you're buying the asset. So right. consider what your goals are. If you have the syndicated deal, and you think, you know, you have a hold where people might want to get out. You might want to talk to somebody about structuring, even on the acquisition. Maybe you don't want to go into a typical syndicate structure. Maybe there's other alternatives and you do something like a tick. So okay. I, b- b- yeah. that's, that's a very valuable point that I just have to, I have to stop and just kind of let that resonate, marinate with me for a second. So even at the acquisition of an asset, they should talk to you. Uh, it's not a bad idea. Or not, if not us, they should be talking to their accountant. Right. right? I, that's probably my biggest piece of advice. And I stress this in every seminar that I do is that, 
before you, certainly before you sell an asset, you need to talk to your accountant. But even before you get into buying an asset, it's a really good idea to have a, a good accountant behind you. Yeah. Uh, and you may need to shop for that. You know, not every account, there are many very good, you know, excellent accountants. Not all of them have a particular expertise in real estate. In real estate, yeah. yeah. So, you know, and having that guy behind, guy or girl, I should say, that's, you know, very sexy to me. I apologize. But, you know, having that person, <laughs> no, having that person behind you who yeah, gives you that, that good guidance, you know, is very, very important. And you should have, you know, as well as you should have a good real estate attorney, uh, having professionals who you can work with is invaluable. And the third piece of advice I would have is, uh, you know, I think uh, I always say in the 1031 exchange in particular, you don't want to buy garbage just for the sake of saving taxes. And now, mm. you know, earlier, we do talk people out of doing exchanges. And so unless you're going to buy something that makes sense, you can lose a lot more money in a bad investment than you can by paying taxes, right? You know that your losses in paying taxes is you're going to pay up to a third of your profits. You could buy a really bad building with, you know, tenants who aren't paying rent and, you know, infrastructure that doesn't, you know, make sense. Yep. And, you know, you can lose everything, right? Mm-hmm. We, you know, we're, not that, we're not that far from the financial crisis. So, yeah. you know, do your due diligence, make sure you're buying good property. So you, you hit on something and I just, I want to kind of dive in just a little bit deeper. You said you don't necessarily have to talk to you all, but you need to talk to the accountant. What are some of the things that somebody should do differently than in a, in a regular acquisition versus a 1031 acquisition? And specifically to the point I've heard rumors like you have to buy it in the same entity that you dispose of it in and et cetera, et cetera. You know, a lot of people nowadays are buying homes in their personal names and then quick claim deeding them to their entity names. Talk to a little, mm-hmm. talk to us through kind of that, you know, getting started process. Yeah. We don't worry too much about limited liability companies to have a single member, right? So you can buy a property in your own name, do a 1031 exchange and buy a property, a replacement property in a limited liability company of which you are the sole member. It's called a disregarded entity for tax purposes, right? So it doesn't exist for tax purposes. Um, but don't want to do is buy a property in a corporation. Okay. For by and large, there may be reasons to buy a corporation, but really most real estate investors these days are buying a limited liability company. Uh, corporations are a very, very inflexible entity for real estate. They don't give you a lot of planning opportunities, the ability to kind of get in and out. So I'd recommend staying away from corporations. And that again is the, you know, get the accountant involved. They can advise you on it. Let's talk a little bit about how they can get a hold of you. How can our audience get a hold of you today? Yeah. Good so, so a great way to, first, you can definitely check out our website, massin1031.com. We have a great blog that Mike writes about every month on the hot topics like opportunity zones and 1031 exchanges. Uh, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So at Alex Jandrowski on LinkedIn or at Mike Brady as well, Michael Brady as well. That would be probably a good place to start to reach out to us, either the website or um, or through LinkedIn. Again, I think that the, the most important p- point that we want to uh, want to share with you is that we really are very open to you reaching out to us for advice. Right? We all day long, all we speak about with clients is this is 1031 exchange, the right approach for you. How do you structure it appropriately? Speak to investors, syndicators uh, around the whole country. So we really are open to your questions. Yeah. Do not feel like there's a bad question out there. Uh, if you are in a position where you are an investor who is looking to, uh, protect their, you know, their assets and are looking to invest long-term and reinvest in the market, 1031 exchanges have to be part of your strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. so please, you know, if you are an investor in real estate, 
who is at some point looking to appreciate the property and value, which is any real estate investor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, then I'm talking to you. Right. <laughs> so, definitely shout out to Mass in 1031. You know, we are, there's, we haven't had a chance to speak about kind of the importance of, of working with the right QI, wealth intermediary. There's a lot of important things to realize. Well, let's, uh, just, I mean, you know, we have time. So let's, let's kind of go into that because, you know, it's really important. A qualified intermediary, again, is that person that helps facilitate the 1031 exchange. So if you make the wrong 1031 exchange qualified intermediary choice, that could be a pretty bad thing. So go ahead and talk to us a little bit about that. There's a few different important elements when you're looking at, at, a, at a 1031 exchange uh, company, a, a QI. Remember, the number one thing that you want to make sure is that your asset is protected, right? So uh, a, a mass in 1031 essentially has a $10 million bond that protects any money that's in escrow with, with it. Two is it requires two signatures to move any money from the accounts. So again, you have a separate account that's really, really crucial to understand is that you don't want to have a QI commingle funds. That is not a good idea. You want to make sure that your money is in a separate account. Two wow. is you want to make sure that no money can be taken out without your signature, right? Wow. There'd be un- unfortunate cases that uh, uh, the uh, QI has uh, taken advantage of those resources that's been invested with them. So you want to make sure that a QI does not have the ability to remove any funds, that they are essentially under insurance in case anything would happen to them. Now, the other thing, uh, Mike, do you want to speak about uh, the, the value of having a QI be part of a larger company? Yeah, so there's a couple of things. So, you know, Mass and Exchange is also part of a much larger company with significant resources. We're not the tail wagging the dog. You know, we, we're part of the dog. The, uh, what does commercial- that mean, Mike? Yeah, I don't know. I just said it. it <laughs> well, where did we just go there? <laughs> Can you just say that one more time? Yeah. So hey, let's go and skip that. Uh, so, <laughs> no, I kind of want to really know where that went with the dog. Yeah. So basically, we're just part of a much larger company. You know. Yeah. So Madison is uh, Madison has Madison Title, which is one of the largest national uh, independently owned title insurance companies in the country. You know, we insure several billion dollars of transactions every year with all of the major title underwriters. We have Madison Commercial Real Estate Services. You mentioned Yona Weiss earlier, who you had on, Madison. Yep. Our, Madison uh, Specs. Specs. Yep, yep, yep. You know, and we have, you know, Madison Real Pro Due Diligence, which does lease abstracting and financial due diligence on properties, as well as Madison Exchange, which is, you know, a significant company in its own right. You know, we have a staff of uh, about, uh, I think, 15 to 20 people. We have three certified exchange specialists on staff. I am one of them as well. We have three attorneys on staff who help structure transactions. Uh, you know, so we have the expertise and the experience that guide our clients through air, pretty much every 1031 exchange scenario. One other thing I just wanted to mention is that at, before you sell any property that you plan to include in a 1031 exchange, you must make sure to contact your a qualified intermediary before you close. Okay, because we need to set up the exchange before yeah. closing, and the proceeds from the sale need to come directly to us from the closing. That's a, probably the most important thing that either Alex or I have said today, including the ta- tail wagging the dog, uh, <laughs> <laughs> is that you need to have the uh, you need to have the QI in place before you close on anything. Well, I appreciate your time, gentlemen. Again, that's you said it was massive ten thirty one, right? Yeah, our website is madison1031.com. We have a blog on there called the uh, the 1031 Zone. Put articles up about once a month, and you can subscribe to that as well. And you can find us both on LinkedIn. You know, uh, we're both on there quite a bit. 
So Madison 1031, M-A-D-I-S-O-N-1031.com. Again, check them out on LinkedIn, Alex Shandrovsky and Michael Brady. Uh, we appreciate you gentlemen coming on the show. It was such a wealth of information. And again, if you are interested in more information, hit them up on their website or on LinkedIn. And again, as always, uh, realliferalequity.com forward slash newsletter for all the information that has to do with our podcast going forward. And today, everything you heard in this podcast, all the highlights will be in that newsletter. So definitely subscribe. Again, gentlemen, we want to thank you for being on the show. And as always, we will see everyone next week. Thank you for listening to Real Life Real Equity Podcast. If you would like to ask the hosts a question or be exposed to our podcast audience, visit our website at realliferealequity.com and submit a request. Again, that's realliferealequity.com or send us an email at info at realliferealequity.com. Again, that's info at realliferealequity.com. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week right here on Real Life Real Equity Podcast.